Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle, and my voice is cracking like I'm 13. <laughs> I feel like uh, this show is almost 13 years old. I mean, we uh, we just passed the nine-year mark, um, yeah. and we did nothing to We're... celebrate it. But I, I want to do something big for 10 years. I just have no idea what that's going to be. 10 years of funk. Well, if... Uh, knock on wood, if the pandemic hasn't killed half the world's population at that mm. point, um, we could do an in-person episode. That's true. That and fun. if the pandemic has killed half the world, then listeners... Um, we'll be your source for information in the new world order. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Speaking of information... Uh, Speaking of information, did you know that you can store information on a vinyl record? That was actually a good tie-in. Um, I did not know that you could do that. I mean, obviously, like, music. Yeah, I, music is information, so I, I suppose. Um, so, I guess that's kind of the segue into into today's uh, topic, is... It's kind of weird to think about now, you know, given that everything is digital, but um, in the 70s and 80s, uh, I guess computer scientists um, experimented with using vinyl records as a means of storing computer data, huh. which I didn't even know that was possible. We'll, we'll get into the, the science of it a little bit uh, later, because it, it's kind of interesting and blew my mind, yeah. but uh, basically... In the 70s and 80s, I guess computer scientists were exploring different ways to store um, data for computers. I mean, all the way going back to like the 50s and 60s when they had, you know, the the giant computers that were like the size of, you Mm -hmm. know, a room. They would use uh, tape to to store data. In fact, tape is still used, I think, as a a backup medium today. um, Right. Because it's a physical sort of analog way to store data so it's not corrupt as corruptible as you know storing it on some backup server somewhere well i guess the earliest was um, um like punch cards and then it kind of went to um oh yeah you're right you're right you're right because nasa used those punch card computers for the apollo missions right and then i guess at some point probably in the 60s or even earlier than that if we're talking about nasa and all that shit but like magnetic tape like you were kind of mentioning um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm kind of realizing that this is, I, I think, an accidental sequel to the episode we did a couple years ago about video games on cassette tape. Oh, because yeah. in that episode we kind of talked Every- about how cassette tape, like normally people think of it for music, but you could also store computer code and stuff on it too. Yeah, in fact. I unintentionally also kind of talk about that in this episode. So oh, think of this as a ra- as a round two. Um, I guess when you're on for nine years, just like The Simpsons, eventually you have repeats. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, when scientists were uh, experimenting with records, part of what they were trying to get to be stored on vinyl was actually video games. Um, because, you know, in the early days of computers obviously the 70s and the early 80s you had you know apple uh microsoft was fairly nascent at that point um that uh enthusiasts would uh subscribe to sort of computer geek magazines i guess and 
just like um, music magazines have, would have often have flexi discs uh, in them advertising, you know, whatever band. Right. Um, these computer magazines also experimented with using flexi disc inserts um, as computer programs um, as a way to kind of give out free, you know, software basically, whether that be uh, basic software for computer systems or video games or what have you. And to remind the um, listeners what flexi discs are, uh, obviously some uh, something that follows the same, I guess, data storage as a vinyl record, but not necessarily made of vinyl because they were thin and flexible. Yeah, they weren't. Like they weren't vinyl, right? They were. They weren't vinyl, right? They were some form of like thin plastic. I assume so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know we've mentioned flexi discs uh, a handful of times on the show. In fact, we did an episode where we played some flexi discs. Um, but yeah, they're really oh, yeah. thin, like almost disposable versions of records. You know, you can only play them a handful of times before they go to shit. Um, but it was meant as like a, a cheap way to kind of mass distribute music at that point, uh, before the days of hit clips. <laughs> but yeah, so, so computer magazines would have these flexi, these thin flexi disc records inserted into the magazine as a way to kind of distribute free software and video games, which is kind of cool. Um... The earliest documented effort to kind of try this out and put games on vinyl was actually by the U.S. electronics company RCA, which hmm. uh, in the early 70s, they experimented with vinyl records as a, as a storage format, and they used games as a sort of simple prototype to test the, the idea internally, but they never released it really as a consumer product. Um, supposedly, there is an example of their testing that survived that is actually in storage at the Sarnoff Collection Technology Museum, which is in... Oh. Apparently the David Sarnoff Library was built by RCA in 1967, and it's in Delaware. So there you go. Maybe that's uh, where we'll do our anniversary <laughs> live thing, live from the Sarnoff Collection. There you go. Um, so yeah, they were experimenting this with this technology pretty early on, but... Um, you know, in the early 70s, computer and computers were still kind of a business-oriented thing. There, there, there weren't computer uh, consumer versions of them yet. But as uh, the idea of home computers rose in the early 80s, uh, especially with things like the, what, what was it, the Mac 2 or the Mac that came out? The Mac came out in 84, or the Mac 2, I think, was like 87. Anyways... Mm-hmm. Um, with the, you know, the iMac and the old Commodore 64 and those kinds of machines. Um, there was a boom in the early 80s of computing magazines that obviously went along with this new hobby. Um, and this kind of opened the door for these flexi-disc games to go to the public. These uh, magazines would distribute them. Um, and so what they did is they let the magazine uh, publishers put the code into the grooves of the record as like an audio, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's an audio format that the computer could then read as basically bits, you know, ones and zeros. Um, because I guess before, uh, this is kind of funny, before... Uh, the use of flexi discs uh, to distribute programs what these magazines would do is they would have what they called quote type in programs which would be hundreds of lines of code printed in the magazine that the mm. reader then had to had to type out into their computer to run 
which sounds horribly exhausting. Yeah, I have heard of that being a thing. And it's funny to think that people just sat there for correct like me an if hour I'm wrong, or two and I'm just ha- typed in all this stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm having deja vu about this. Didn't we talk about at some point uh, that radio stations would do something similar where they would broadcast uh, yeah. like a... I don't know what you call it. They would broadcast like a like a, a, a computer code as an audio format, and then you would record yeah. that onto like I a cassette. I wonder if we mentioned. Yeah, I wonder if we mentioned that in the cassette episode. I think we did. I th- I'm having a little bit of deja vu. I think we it's, we did mention that. I think I think there was a TV show that did that too, like some like uh, tech computery yeah yeah nerd show. I think they did the same similar thing. That's funny. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into the cassette version of this in a in a second, but yeah, it's just it's funny how you know in the early '80s, you know, obviously home computers weren't mass distributed yet, where everyone had one. They were still kind of a hobbyist thing, but these hobbyists would go to extreme lengths to kind of you know get programs and stuff. It's kind of funny. Um, so so yeah, the the uh, use of flexi discs made this infinitely easier for uh, hobbyists to run programs on their computers. And just like a regular vinyl record that uses a stylus to to, uh, sort of read the music as bumps, um, it's like really tiny braille. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the, the, The program or the computer would read the bumps as and convert that audio signal into data. It's, it's a bit more complex than that. I'll get into it in a sec. But the first attempt to do this uh, in sort of a uh, consumer in, uh, way was uh, in 1978, uh, an issue of Interface Age magazine uh, distributed flexi discs. And it's funny because they, they coined the term floppy ROM, which I'm, I, I'm hmm. curious if that term converted over to what became floppy disks um because as i found out that's interesting as i found out uh a little bit ago actually the floppy disks that we know in the 90s those hard plastic ones that are kind of just you know everyone knows as the save icon now apparently that was the second iteration of floppy disks and the original version of them was much larger and uh it was still square like a floppy disk but it was basically a floppy piece of material f- inside of a plastic frame, even though the frame kept the data disk uh, sort of rigid. The disk itself was actually bendable, hence the term floppy. Uh, and I, I found that out because since uh, one of the people I work with uh, is a bit older than me and has been doing design for a very long time, he actually had one on him and showed me. He's like, yeah, this is what floppy disks used to be. And it was about oh. it's about the size of a dinner plate, about 10 inches. And he's like, yeah, they didn't go to the like the hard plastic ones until like the you know early to mid-90s. So, fun fact. It's funny that he just had one on hand. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I call him a uh, digital, not really digital, but I call him like a, di- a digital hoarder because he has so much like <laughs> retro tech stuff from like the 90s. He even has like old original oh. floppy... Uh, insert programs for like photo- the original Photoshop and stuff. Holy crap! Because he's he's like, yeah, I've been doing graphic design since before these programs existed when it was like all physical. <laughs> Dang. So it's kind of cool to hear stories from from him. Um. So yeah. Uh. Late seventies. Uh. The 
um, computer magazine interface age. They coined this term floppy ROM. Uh, and the A side of this flexi disk was a dress pattern which was readable by the Apple II computer, which apparently this was... Oh, that's this was the computer before the iMac. Now, I don't know if the... Because it looks like the Apple II had lots of different, like, plug-inable accessories. I don't know if you needed, like, a sort of flexi-disc reading drive that you plugged into the machine. Obviously, it wasn't built into the computer itself. Uh, was the... What was the output of the... Was it audio? It it output audio, but that audio was then read by the... Like, the, the computer wouldn't play the audio through speakers. It would just recognize the audio and then convert that into digital data code. Got it. So that, I mean, that is pretty much the same way that the cassette thing worked. And I'm trying to remember the specifics of how that was set up. I don't really remember. Yeah. Your um, listeners will go listen, but... I was going to say, you can go listen on yeah. getyourfunk.com and you can tell us about <laughs> things that we forgot. Um, so yeah, this this original use of the floppy rob on the Apple II was kind of one of the earliest testings of this idea um oh i forgot what i was gonna say i'm sorry um but the point i was gonna make that i forgot about because my brain is terrible is if it's anything like the cassette thing is that you could i think in some like with some computers it, like you needed a dedicated cassette player that interfaced with the computer but mm-hmm. in other cases you could literally just use like a regular tape player so i wonder if you could at least in, in, in the case like this, if you could just use a regular turntable and then just like hook up the audio to that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like have the computer like listen to the audio you're saying and then convert. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I might be way off on that, but that seems close to correct. Yeah. That would be, that would be interesting, interesting way for it to do it. Um, but yeah, in this instance, it said that the, the, pattern on the flexi disc was readable by the apple too so i assume it was some sort of direct reading insert mm. not where you know you had to play it and then have the computer listen to it um right. so yeah this was done back in 78 and then just a year later the dutch uh, electronics magazine called elector uh released a version of the board game mastermind as a floppy rom followed by some other discs mm. for games like battleship and four in a row so they were already playing around with like basic games, basic computer games, really, that you could play on an Apple II, which is kind of fun. Um, it's it's kind of weird to think about, like t- today, obviously, you know, video games are a big industry. That you know, games are like seventy bucks now, but like mm. back in the enthusiast days, like they were literally giving away games free in magazines <laughs> to get kids to play them. Right. Um, yeah. So that's fun. Um, where was I? So um, this this sort of uh, idea of giving away flexi disc games ended up kind of catching on with um, like video game makers and as well as musicians who became fascinated with the idea of distributing games with music, uh, whether that be on vinyl mm. or as we talked about earlier on audio cassette. Um, which apparently was actually the format that games were most commonly stored on at the time, which I guess makes sense in the grand scheme of things by that, you know, it's a, it's an easy format, tape is, is, is cheap to make, 
but it's a tr- sort of tried and true format that computers could read. Uh, even right. you know that was already kind of a legacy format even even in the early '80s. Um, so as this uh, as this wave of you know using vinyl and cassettes to distribute games kind of took off in the early '80s, uh, musicians started getting in on this as well, where they would kind of release singles that were you know here's a song, but then on the other on the other side is a game, or the other song is a is you know is encoded so if you play it in a computer you play a game or whatever i never knew that anybody did that that's really cool yeah uh so i guess in 83 uh this artist shaken stevens uh confused his fans apparently by releasing including a track in one of his singles titled the shaky game which could be played on the sinclair zx spectrum 48k no idea which is some computer system back then um, and he released it on the UK cassette edition of his album, The Bop Don't Stop. Um, oh, so there's actually a game called The Shaky Game. Yeah. It's a game that, he, okay. that I guess he programmed because on top of being, uh, uh, what do you call it, being a musician, he was also kind of an uh, amateur program enthusiast programmer. I guess um, it makes sense that this was a program for the ZX Spectrum because if I remember correctly, that was really big in the UK for like a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was re- if this game was released for that on the UK edition of the cassette, that lines up. With yeah, like yeah. What I remember. Yeah, I was going to say. I, now that you say that, that sounds familiar. I think that computer system was much bigger in the UK than it was here. Um, this is obviously during the Wild West yeah. days, where like there was probably a dozen different computer manufacturers. Right. So yeah, uh, like I was kind of saying before um especially especially in the uk but obviously in the u.s as well artists sort of got in on this idea of pairing uh, music releases with um video computer video games because they could be released on either flexi disc or cassette format Hmm. after um the artist shaken stevens uh, did this little thing where he released a that shaky game uh, with one of his singles. The following year, another band called The Stranglers, which sounds pleasant, their keyboardist, uh, David Greenfield, uh, apparently was also a sort of programmer enthusiast. He coded his own game called Oral Quest. Uh, he was supported by a developer then called Mike Turner. I don't know any of these people's names. Um, hmm. And... It, this game was featured as a bonus track on the cassette version of the band's album Oral Sculpture. So, just these are just examples of uh, of different artists sort of releasing games as like Easter eggs, so to speak, um, for you know fans of theirs that were also apparently computer owners. Um, so, to get into the science of this, because I didn't really understand how this worked especially uh, with cassette tape. Um, I, I googled, what did I google? I, I googled like, how do computers read audio data? And I was pointed to a Reddit thread, which is always a horrible source of information, but in this case it wasn't. Um, but we're funk radio, so it's the I best was gonna source say, of information. <laughs> we're funk radio, so we don't have any better sources. Um, Except for Wikipedia. Yes. So, But I found a, a fairly layman's explanation of this that kind of made sense hey i'm uh, a layman yes as, as am i um 
So I guess for cassettes, the data uh, is represented as audio on the tape. And then when loading a program from the tape, the computer would listen to the noises, which is just a lot of screeching sounds, and understand them as bytes of a program, which it could then run from its memory. Uh, they went on to say, we used a similar technique to access the internet using a normal phone line. Your computer would call another computer, and they would screech at each other to send data back and forth. Um, and then I, I just added... Uh, computers in that era, such as the Commodore 64, had tape drives built into them, so they could read. They could read cassettes. Um, so I guess none of them had vinyl drives. <laughs> no, no. It sounds, especially for the Apple II, it sounds like that's probably an, uh, just like Apple does now. It's an accessory dongle that you have to plug into the computer. So I assume it's similar with a flexi disc. It's 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 the it's the computer reading the audio, but then. Obviously, it's not it's not playing that audio through speakers to annoy the listener. It's just reading yeah. it and then converting that audio in real time to code. Annoying the listener is our is our job. <laughs> yeah, we I can screech and, and sound like a, a modem if you'd like. <laughs> um, I guess in 1983, uh, around the same time as this uh, Shaken Stevens guy. Um, this one artist released a seven-inch vinyl single. His name was uh, Chris Savy. I can't pronounce that. Um, I guess he would go. He would. He went by his stage name, Frank Sidebottom, which sounds really weird. Mm. Uh, and I guess similar to this, the the other guy, Dave Greenfield, he was a passionate uh, programmer uh, as well as a synth pop performer. So he released a single called Camouflage where the B-side of the 7-inch vinyl was a program that was a rudimentary graphical music video for the song, as well as oh, wow. a railway game called The Flying Train, which is weird. Huh. So, I don't know if it's like the, the computer would read the audio data and then convert that into maybe... I don't know. I, I, if it's... If it's converting it into a program, that program could just be something that just plays a video in real time, I suppose, without any input from the user. Um, so I guess you could also use that as a way to kind of distribute sort of a, what do you call it, a rudimentary augmented video to kind of go along with your single. It's kind of weird. What year is this? 83? 83. So, so I'm guessing that this was... Uh, what did what did we end up calling that in some other episode? I think we talked about video games a different time. In the nineties, they it started like showing like actual video files in in video games and stuff. That was a big thing. But this was like a decade before that, so I'm trying to think of like what that would even look like. Um, I mean, it would probably something be... something similar to like Atari level graphics, predetermined to move around in sync with what the song would be. I assume. I don't know if it's like you got to play the song separately or if it plays the song. Um, I did find a link to it. However, the link is basically the audio data for the the video and, and game itself. So oh, it's it not the song. Just, it just sounds like a bunch of screeching. Oh, here we go. If you go if you go like a minute in um, into the link I sent you, uh-huh. um, you can hear the actual song and oh, what, okay. what the what the disc plays. 
it's literally like uh, lyrics timed to the song, but within the program. I had no idea that anybody was combining the idea of music and like video game distribution. Like even just as like a fun bonus thing. I've never heard of that. This definitely seems like a super niche thing and it, it seems to be coming a lot out of the UK or at least in, in this instance it is. But I'm sure even even then the crossover between musicians and uh, computer enthusiasts was probably fairly small. Right. So it's like this isn't something Michael Jackson was doing. Right. Nerds don't listen to music. Oh yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, if you skip if you skip around a little bit, like it's like a full on graphical thing. Oh, are these the actual visuals from the program? Yeah, like if you if like it's played in program, but it's like a timed music video where there's like little really really basic graphics and stuff. Oh, I see at the very end of this video, it says there's like instructions of how to run it. And it says, first, you must place your copy of Chris CV's camouflage on your record player. Then put the playing arm down into the groove to play the song. The moment you hear the opening note of music, press any key. Oh, I see. And so basically you'd load up the program. And then once the song starts playing, it basically just says hit the key to start the visuals. And then they'll like be in sync, basically. So would you have um, to load? Would you have? Would you? You'd have to load the program from the disc, and then that program first, would be stored yeah. in the computer's memory. Mm-hmm. And then you'd take the the vinyl record out, and then play the song on the other side on your record player. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's pretty clever. That's really clever. Um. Yeah, that's really interesting. I it, it, I bet that's like an interesting like vinyl artifact to own. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be huh. weird, weird trying to track down a, a computer that would be able to play it, but yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, this wasn't meant to be a super long or in-depth episode. This was just kind of like a, oh yeah, artists were basically experimenting with using vinyl as a means to distribute like programs and other little novelties uh, as opposed to just music. And I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe maybe that's what we'll do for our uh, ten year anniversary. We'll really we'll convert an episode to like bits and like garbled screeching noises for computers. Put it on a vinyl, and then have it play on a nineteen eighty three computer. There you go. I think my brain broke halfway through that, but <laughs> there was something in there. Yeah, uh, we have to convert ourselves to like the simple graphics or whatever. And- in the we have to enter the grid. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like Tron. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, if any of your listeners are old enough to know what the hell we're talking about, because we don't, um, let us know. Uh, if you either if you've dabbled in computers in the early 80s, or if you're aware of any of these artists that distributed uh, programs and whatnot through vinyl mediums, or if you have any of those flexi discs that came in those old computer magazines, uh, you can let us know uh, or tell us about it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. Um, as we said earlier, you can also listen to this episode and all of our stuff on getyourfunk.com. Uh, we're also on Spotify, uh, which pretty much everyone has. We're on all basically anywhere you can stream uh, podcasts we're on. So, yeah, just, yeah. Yay. Yay. 
insert children saying yay um <laughs> i thought this was like a fun little nerd topic i like obscure yeah, cool. media formats and obscure uses for things well i, I like that it, it kind of expanded upon something we had done before and introduced like new concepts to that that's pretty cool yeah for sure so yeah um this has been your nerdy host kyle and this has been your mm, what have i been listeners this has been your floppy host peter thanks for listening everybody tune in next time for more of your favorite funky hits bye we love you <laughs>